Good morning and welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Bishop Stein, and today's show topic seeks to address incarceration, the criminal justice system, and how it impacts families and society as a whole. Today's guest is a Nashville native who spent much of his youth as a noted basketball star from 1989 to 1992. Emil Carr Butler played for Aquinas Junior College where he studied sports management and he also attended Salem Tokyo University and even, his, even took his skills overseas to Venezuela. But that all came to an abrupt stop when he was arrested and sentenced to life in prison based on a nonviolent criminal drug charge. While in prison, he studied the law and worked on his own case. He was released from federal prison on August 12, 2020, after being granted clemency by President Barack Obama, where his life sentence was reduced to 20 years. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. And next up, we have Dee Oldham, Butler's nephew. Dee is also a Tennessee native who was able to achieve success at a very young age as a young basketball star. Known as a trailblazer, Dee is the first in his family to finish a four-year college degree. He studied criminal justice while attending the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, where he played on the men's basketball team. At the age of 24, he recently retired from a professional overseas men's basketball team. He is a young entrepreneur and one of the creators of the Way, the Truth, and Enlightenment Institute, which is a 501c3 nonprofit based in the greater Nashville, Tennessee area. His organization's mission is to empower and cultivate the interconnectedness amongst children, youth, and families. Dee, also welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm going to actually start with you, Dee. I really wanted to start by asking you how, you know, having several family members like your uncle being incarcerated really impacted your youth. Um, I mean, I think it impacted tremendously. Um, And obviously it was, it was considering that, you know, I was able to, um, kind of learn a lot of life lessons by not necessarily having to um I think it I think it definitely has some pros and some cons um to my to my growth and my development as a young man. Um now considering obviously considering the circumstances I think that uh my uncle especially and as as well as my, my father as well have still played a tremendous impact on my growth even though their 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 time during incarceration. Yes, and uh, I, I think even with all that, D, you obviously were able to certainly persevere and do quite well in spite of your, your circumstances growing up. Um, how, how do you think that was able to come about? Because while we can focus on some of the problems and issues, it's also good to know, you know, how do you overcome when you're, you know, faced with adversity in a situation where you maybe don't have um, – you know, the, the father figure, the male figures there in your life every day, you know, on mm-hmm. a day. Just, I mean, so surrounding myself with, with like-minded individuals, um, as well as other, other male influences, other positive male role models, um, and, and just continuously being a sponge, listening, listening to older people, listening again to, 
see, there was, there was still a line of conversation that I was able to have um, with my uncle, with my father, others in my family um, who have been incarcerated. And, and a, a, lot of, a lot of the words that, whether it came in letters, whether it came in visitation rooms, whether it came in phone calls, um, a lot of the words of empowerment and advice that they were able to share with me played a tremendous amount of impact um, on my, my perseverance and my mindset on how to detour from routes that they may have went down. Yeah, absolutely. So we see there's definitely a way to break the visual, vicious cycle that we're talking about here with incarceration, uh, which tends to break up the uh, physical family in terms of day-to-day uh, physical communication and contact. But I'm going to turn to your uncle now and ask, as you listen to your nephew uh, in, in talking here and talking about, you know, growing up and, and trying to navigate in that environment. I know you had two girls that you were away from when uh, your situation happened many years ago. And yes, ma'am. I wanted to just ask you, you know, what are your thoughts on um, incarceration and how it actually impacts the family? For me, incarceration, it impacts the family tremendously because for me, I come up with a praying mother religious, Mm -hmm. who took me and my brother perhaps to church every Sunday as a youth. And after being incarcerated and being family-oriented, come to realize that the family has to come to visit you in prison, which takes time away from other things that they can be doing when you perhaps call them on the telephone. That also takes away time that they can be doing something else as well. So what I wanted to do, each encounter that I had with my loved ones, I wanted to make sure that it was positive in the negative situation that I was in. And I knew by staying positive, that could perhaps... Uh, resonate in their brain that even though the dad, the uncle, the son may be in a negative situation, hey, by him staying positive, or as the, the Bible says, count it all as joy, that I can perhaps continue to move forward as a family member instead of staying stagnant uh, as I continue to, uh, or as they continue to basically travel through out this journey that we call life. Yeah. So I wanted you to also, um, Amakar, I would like you to, to maybe share your story with us. What actually happened on the day that you were arrested um, and charged with that nonviolent uh, criminal offense that actually led to a life sentence? Tell us about that day. Keep in mind, I got incarcerated September the 17th, the year 2000. Uh, Metro Vice and TBI work together congruently to sell me a controlled substance, which is cocaine. The TBI agent, whose name was Patrick Howe, he had a cooperating witness that he was working with. The cooperating witness, who was a Mexican, he contacted a mutual friend of mine who sold jury in the jury chaos in the mall. 
the mutual friend of mine had contacted me and said that, hey, uh, this is the government's, I'm giving you the government's version, and said, hey, I know someone who has some drugs in town. They perhaps cheaper than what you're getting them for. And so the meeting ground was a hotel. I'm going to kind of go along a little fast while we don't bore you, but the meeting ground was a hotel. Oh, you're fine, by the way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> However, they had, they had it on the fourth floor at this particular hotel. Kilograms in uh, Nashville were going maybe $24,000, $25,000 at that particular time. However, it was a deal for five kilograms. And so they allowed me and my guy, who was an Arab at the time, Muhammad Arif, which they, he's better known as David. Everybody knows him as David uh, in Hickory Hollow Mall that's shut down right now. But we met at the hotel. They allowed us to come in, look at it first, view the five kilograms. They had a recording in the television, audio, video, allowed us the opportunity to leave, to go get the money. Once we came back with the money at Petrian, made the exchange, the 110000 giving the backpack to the, uh, uh, to the cooperating witness, the informant, and they gave the backpack of drugs. My guy, who I consider, as I say, thirsty, or he was wanted to make a big profit off of me, which I didn't know at the particular time that he was getting them for 19000 So yeah. once I left out the room, they compensated him 15000 However, when I got to the next room, that's when all vice officers and TBI jumped out on me, freeze you on the rest. So this was my last day on the street, September 17th of 2000. And, and tell us, so what happened after that? So, um, so now you were charged with what actual uh, offense? The case stayed state in actuality for 21 months, from September 17th of 2000 until June the 5th of 2002. Throughout the course of its stand state, I was planning on going to trial because there were several technical violations on my charge. I had a crooked TBI agent, George Patrick Howe. He had uh, got caught. Let's try not to, you don't have to mention every name, but All if right. you could just kind of, you know, share the story without, you know, mentioning, um, you know, right. that would be fine. Go ahead. I just, I just try to get the, the truth and the whole truth, you know what I mean? So help me God. Yeah. So, uh, but I understand what you're saying. But, but the uh, case agent, he was tampering with evidence. When they go do a, 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 a buy from individuals, he would get the drugs. And before he turned it into the evidence room, he would go in it, dip in it, snort, and uh, turn it in and put baking soda back on it. When they do a reverse steam case, like in my case, when you check it out from the evidence room, they sell it to an individual and they get the kilogram back before he turns it back into the evidence room. He goes in it and snorts it and turns it back in. However, by tampering with this, this particular evidence, my position was is that this particular 
controlled substance is no good. If this crooked agent is tampered with evidence, the chain of custody is broken, the case should be dismissed. However, to move along a little swiftly, in 2000 and the end of 2001, the two other individuals on the street were getting locked up. However, they were catching federal charges. Mm -hmm. By catching those federal charges, these guys decided to cooperate immediately with the federal government. And by cooperating with the federal government, they mentioned my name. Mm -hmm. Emil Carr Butler been doing this, been doing that. So what the government did is said that, hey, let's check off into Emil Carr Butler. Oh, he has a state case. He hasn't played out in that case yet. So let's bring that state case up to federal court, charge him in federal court, then we're going to indict him in a whole nother conspiracy, a 400 kilogram conspiracy in federal court as well. So in June the 5th of 2002, I was initially indicted in federal court for the five or more kilograms for that hotel case. September the 13th of 2002, they indicted me in a superseding indictment in a separate case in a 400 kilogram conspiracy. My trial in the hotel case started, remember, mind you, I went to trial. I didn't cop out. So trial started September the 17th of 2002, and I blew trial, meaning I lost trial September the 19th of 2002. And what did that mean when you, when you say you lost trial? You lost the case. Um, right. And you were sent, what was your sentence? On July the 26th, of 2004, I was sentenced to two concurrent life sentences in federal court. There's no parole in uh, the federal system. You get no good time when you get a life sentence. It's a natural life, and I was set to die in federal prison. So let me ask this. Um, you know, for a, a drug uh, possession case of this nature, were you surprised or were you even aware that you could receive a life sentence for a drug conviction. The Bible says our people suffer for lack of knowledge. Yeah. I'm saying that to say that if I knew in the beginning that I could get a life, a life sentence for drugs, I never would have went down that street. Mm -hmm. Meaning I never would have took that path and uh, say dealing with drugs that is so my thing is now a lot of our youth don't know the consequences and what they're dealing with as far as with the government they use prior convictions against you meaning if you had a prior state conviction you copped out in the state you continue to uh, live in a life of crime and catch a charge again they'll use those little small prior convictions against you to enhance your federal sentence to perhaps a life sentence like what I got. Mm -hmm. Where, I mean, were you in shock when you found out there was a life sentence with, with no opportunity for parole? I mean, you, I know there, there are shock. people who have committed heinous crimes, you know, and, not only drug possession, but, uh, you know, violence and other things, all types of violent crimes who've gotten less than that. So, I mean, what do you think um, 
kind of is going on there. Um, and I'm going to actually, I'm going to toss that question to Dee because Dee, obviously you studied criminal justice in school um, and, and I'm sure are aware of the disproportionate number of cases that are, are occurring within, within the uh, criminal justice system where, you know, the person, um, it seem, seems as if the person didn't do something that someone else did, so where it's basically just not fair. Um, what are your thoughts on, on what has been taking place over, over the last couple of years from, from studying it, you know, in school? D, are you able to hear us? I mean, that's a that's a broad question. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. It was delayed. Yeah, okay, you. yeah. I said that's a, that's a broad question. Um, I mean, it's it, it's a. I'm I'm very. I don't know how familiar you are with the with the Jim Crow, um, mm -hmm. but I you know I have a, I have a strong base of belief that that still occurs um, as far as just our incarceration with black men. Um, I mean, it's. There's not really a direct pinpoint answer that I have to what's going on. Mm -hmm. I know, though, that there are a lot of things. It's almost like a vicious cycle. There are a lot of things that play into Correct. a disproportionate number of people being um, indicted on particular charges. One would be uh, poverty that plays into this cycle. And that is where, you know, you look and that person may not have uh, – uh, the legal means or the the money to provide an attorney, and you know, so they end up getting a public defender. The public defender's cases are often backed up. Um, it may be years before that uh, trial ever sees the light of day, and so um, we're looking at a system that is is overwhelmed with a number of cases and people who are waiting. Uh, for trial, but while they're waiting, they're obviously uh, incarcerated. So um, I, I really hate to bring up the issue of race here, but it seems to keep coming up a lot lately. It's all over. It's yeah, all over. and, and uh, we obviously need to talk about it as a result. So right. according to some of the statistics that I was able to pull up and research, um, I, I discovered from the U.S. Department of Justice, the Office of Justice Programs, Bureau of Justice Statistics, that African-Americans are actually incarcerated at five times the rate of anyone else in state prisons and at least 10 times the rate in five states. It's um, not even more. Yeah, I mean, right now it's about 5.1 to be exact. But, but um, you know... How much do you all think that uh, that plays into uh, other things uh, within society? You know, you you know, one thing seems to feed into another in terms of the uh, the disparities, uh, you know, amongst uh, various races. It's it's all about a status quo because the thing is, is if it wasn't any so-called crime, we. They forget about justice. They need crime to continue to occur. They need prisons to continue to be built because it creates job security, not only for them, meaning them, meaning those correctional officers, mm -hmm. public defenders, prosecutors, judges, bailiffs, so forth and so on. It keeps going on. Politicians, they have stake in the prisons senators, congressmen, and maybe even our president. 
all have a stake in the prison. It's, the list goes on because the United States is a corporation. Check out Title 28, Section 3002, Subsection 15. Everything is a corporation. Corporation needs gas and human beings out of gas. Those who get incarcerated out of gas to keep the cooperation moving. So if you let more people out than you let in, the cooperation is going to continue to slowly, slowly, slowly shut down. And they don't want that. Yeah, I mean, but, but you know, you look at that. So you have all these people incarcerated. Um, let's look at uh, and talk a little bit about COVID-19 since you were recently released. I definitely want to uh, hit on that topic. Um, tell us what uh, you're seeing or you've seen recently going on since you were just released in August. Uh, what's going on inside of the prisons as it relates to COVID-19 um, testing? You know, is there anything being done to prevent the spread of COVID-19? which also obviously we must mention is affecting the African-American community in disproportionate numbers as well. If you really want to know what's going on, I'm going to tell you, they're leaving you for dead inside the prisons, but they're telling you something different. They're telling you that we got everything under control. We providing all these chemicals and sanitation and all this other garbage that they're not doing. They're getting money provided, but they're not, they not spending it. They're not giving it to you so you can clean up the jails and all that and sanitize yourself on a daily basis. It's just all a dog and pony show. Once again, it's all a dog and pony show just to keep the wheels turning because they can't let you out. Of, once again, they can't let you out of prison just like that. Job security. Not only for them, but for their sons, their nephews, their aunts, their uncles, their grandmothers, grandfathers. It's all family. Unions. Once again, unions. Everybody's working together. One hand is hitting the other. And then they put both hands together and they wash their face, their faces. Right. But, and but, their face don't look like mine. Again, we see how this kind of affects um you know, everyone, it affects the entire family. So um, we have got to think about this and, and think about what can be done um, so that is that is not happening. I have seen some video um, from different things that I might have seen on YouTube that where somebody has snuck a phone in and it does not appear to be a very good situation right now, which also, you know, when people are released, if they can't, find a job when they get out. We're looking at things like homelessness um, and, and, and what is happening there. So do you think the support system uh, is in place to be able to, um, I guess, help those who have been incarcerated who are, are out? Or is, is there a support system where they can find, you know, people like you can find a job? Let me put it to you plain. They want you to come back to prison. The rehabilitation that spoke on is a joke. Once again, it's a joke. Whatever money they're getting, 
They're not helping you rehabilitate. There's no proper classes for you to take so you can better yourself. So if it wasn't for me digging deep within me to better my own self, meaning spending money to get my prayer legal certification at Blackstone, getting my fitness training certification at American Fitness Professional Association in Ship Bottom, New Jersey, getting my advanced fitness training certification, me not rehabilitate, me reevaluating myself and studying thyself is the key. Because most people want to look at and point the finger at everybody else but the mirror. They don't want to point the finger at the mirror because it's tough to work on and study yourself and reevaluate yourself. So once I realize my positives, negatives, what triggers me, what makes me happy, what makes me sad, I looked at the situation as a playing basketball. The coach always tell you, you only play as good as what? You practice. If you practice hard, you're going to play hard. So if you work on yourself, study hard in prison, prison is a practice field. If you practice, work, day in, day out, from the beginning of your sentence to the end, you're going to be successful upon being released. Because release is game time. Practice time is over with. So that's why they'll never see me again, because I studied day in and day out, was traveling through several different religious organizations, grasping the truth, because the truth has no color on it. It has no color at all. Yeah. So it didn't matter what race yeah. uh, it came out of. But however, as I say, the real rehabilitation is, is going to start with the individual reevaluating himself and practicing hard in prison. And he would know then, once you didn't got all your tools together, which are degrees, you're going to be automatically successful upon being released because, as the coach always say, the games are always easier than practice. Outside of prison is going to be easier than inside. Yeah, great. Apply yourself. Great points. Good advice for those, you know, who are working to get out or are out um, from the system. Um, Before we move on, I wanted to um, mention, we have a lot of people I see listening in and wanted to make sure that I do open the floor for questions. We have a number that you can actually call in and and ask uh, Emil Carr, uh, questions or D. Um, that number is 1-888-627-6008. That number again, 888-627-6008. You can uh, certainly feel free to call that toll-free number or um, if you're um, tuning in and you want to actually uh, go to the chat section of Zoom, um, you are able to, to go there and I'm able to see your questions you may have and I'm happy to uh, relay some of those questions that uh, you may wish to ask. So thanks for tuning in and I'm going to um, continue this conversation on incarceration, the criminal justice system and 
what we can do to kind of break the cycle of the, the huge number of African-Americans that are um, being unjustly incarcerated. And it's not just some, I mean, we know sometimes that the crimes are committed, but it just seems as if the number of, uh, of uh, I guess, people who are being incarcerated based on the time that they're given is, is disproportionate uh, to other in many cases. So um, one of the things I wanted to turn to is now that we know what's happening in terms of America's failed attempt for uh, profit mass incarceration with 1.3 million people being in prison, you know, we really want to look at what needs to happen in terms of reform of the criminal justice system. And so I want to talk a little bit about voting. Um, I know some people have talked about that. The fact is that these are, you know, when you look at uh, numbers like for every five people in, in prison, you know, it's like a five to one ratio. I mean, these are, are a lot of folks that aren't going to be able to vote. How do you think um, that plays into uh, politics and, and the election? Either one of you, uh, you can feel free to chime in there. I mean, you would think that Say, for instance, a convicted felon. Once they say, once you do your time, it's like you pay your debt to society and it's over with. So after an individual has done his time, why come he shouldn't be granted back those right. same particular things that, that uh, were available to him before he come to prison, such as voting. Because you know why? Because most of the people who get incarcerated are minorities. Now, you give those minorities different rights and or privileges once they get out of prison, who you think they're going to vote for? Somebody who looks just like them or is thinking or been in the same situation as them. If it's not somebody who's the same color as them, they're going to vote for those who have uh, their same ideas and agendas. So we can't let those minorities, meaning blacks, Mexicans, and so forth and so on, mm -hmm. take over this country such as uh, another Barack Obama, who did a very excellent job. And I know one day I'm going to meet him to get to shake his hand. But we need to be breeding more Barack Obamas and more Martin Luther Kings. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is have them study ourselves and reevaluate themselves. But back to the voting. Yeah. It's just all, it's all a game. It's all a game. Mm -hmm. Because we know that from Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump about the vote, Hillary got all the, the big time votes. She won, she won the people. She's the people's champ. But the people's champ don't get you in the White House. The electoral vote. So we got to change and do a paradigm shift of the mind frame of those who crafted this system. Yeah. 
I, I would agree with you there. But one thing that you said earlier, you know, that maybe people are afraid, you know, minorities are going to take over that kind of thing. And I, I really don't think that's what people want. And that's something important to point out that I think people just want equality. They just want justice, justice, justice. And, and fairness. Um, it right. seems like a lot of times um, once people get in the game, you know, it's like the chess pieces moved, you know, right. <laughs> it's a different ball game. So that, um, you know, you look at uh, uh, things like Jim Crow, that is, is part of the issue, obviously, part of the problem that it just never seems to be fair. And uh, that why not? It's a question. True and honest. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we're looking at. And, um, you know, I don't know how we actually turn the tables for that and, and where people really look at their hearts and look at what what is really right. Um, hey, you know, not look at it from somebody trying to take over for that. I think. That can you hear me, yeah. Celeste? Yes, I can. Um, I think it's I think it's just imperative for us to be um, proactive as well um, versus right, reactive. Right. So right. you know, try trying to um, implement resources and programs for for youth and even young adults to do this self searching, this 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 inner self awareness before they have to encounter something that forces them. Right, right, um, right. So and I say that to say uh, we're. Uh, my, my uncle and myself, we are uh, we are in the the beginning stages of of putting together a, a proactive program um, centered around life after sports. Um, because as you talk about black people being incarcerated and just the the five to one the ratios, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but the zip code of three seven two zero eight, which is North Nashville, has the has the highest incarceration rate in the country. Mm. So in the country, this is this is everywhere, and this is right in our backyards. Um, so I say all that to say, a lot of times in in these communities in which um, in which the people who look like us live, if sports is typically in their mind their only way out, and if if that doesn't work, whether it stops at high school, whether it stops at college, um, whether you play college and only get to play after, um, typically you 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 end up coming to a, a fork in the road of decisions you have to make. And and like I say, that's why I'm har- that's why I'm harping on the proactive side because we wanna we wanna implement a program that it it, it we we meet you before you get to that fork in the road. Right, to where right. When right. that when that solid sense of self awareness is built, it makes you a lot more easier and secure in your decisions to not be a follower and fall into the the community traps mm-hmm. of clearly what the statistics already say you're gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, that's something that we're working on, um, putting into place is just offering more resources and programs, um, that, that help the youth and young adults, uh, you know, build that solid sense of self-awareness. Yeah. I think to that, not go that down is, this road of what we're talking know, about. Hey, yeah. I know D too, that you have already, you know, with the way the truth and enlightenment, the, um, organization that you founded, with a few others, let me ask you a little bit about that. Tell tell us your vision with with uh, your organization and working with you. So our our, our ultimate vision um, is to to start a community. Um, so we we we, we want to start a school um, and and get back to the 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 really the each one teach one um, type of type of mindset. Um, and that's that's the that's the big vision of where we want this to go. And we've been implementing programs year after year 
going into different uh, group homes, different residential areas, different juveniles, different schools, um, and coordinate these programs um, that, again, center around the, 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 the inside, the solid sense of self-awareness. And I just think it's such a beautiful thing that, um, you know, my, my uncle and I, we've had to do our own uh, individual healing and, and, and learning separated from each other. And it, and it just, it, it, couldn't re- it couldn't rekindle at a, at a more perfect time. Mm-hmm. I know, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of people uh, protest, uh, D. You know, we are, are seeing people march uh, of all races and ethnicities, unlike ever before. And so right. um, you think um, the protests are a true way to affect uh, change? You know, we, we've done this before in the past, but are we missing something? Because it seems like, I mean, every time I turn on the TV, I see a protest, but nothing seems to be changing. What, what else can be done? Get in their pocket. And once you stop their, uh, the economic stability or the, the capital that they gained, even from protesting, they still winning. Mm. They still, but until you stop their income, meaning the powers that be, from coming in, meaning stop shopping at the stores, stop utilizing whatever type of business that they may have uh, generated or implemented, stop using it. Right, so, but sometimes there's no other choice because um, obviously there are not a lot of minority uh, businesses, and especially now, I know um, I've done research, my company has done research in the greater Nashville area, and um, over 50% of um, African-Americans actually work for minority businesses. So right. that translates to a lot of people right now unemployed due to COVID. So we, mm-hmm. you know, we were hit by a tornado and right behind the tornado, you know, we had, right. I mean, we were actually uh, declared a federal disaster area. So you're seeing droves of people that are homeless. I'm seeing people that I have never seen before, you know, women, men on the streets, um, sleeping on corners and under the bridges here in Nashville, um, like never before. Um, so that's what they wanted because the thing is, I'm saying they, if the government is those who sleeping under the bridges because the government has been giving up money, $1,200 stimulus, they're giving they was given $600 unemployment. Why mm-hmm. don't you save that money? Or it doesn't take much to get a business started. Mm. So if you're sleeping under the bridge and you unemployed, that's because that's what you wanted. They gave you $600 a week. They were before they stopped it. They were right. giving you $1,200 for stimulus. Yeah. You put them 12 and 6 together. Think what type of business you can It don't cost nothing but $140 to get an LLC. The IRS.gov, you get a EIN number. You right. come up with a name to create your business. Right. That's Fine. a great point. And, and yeah. you know, becoming an entrepreneur, because a lot of people will say, hey, you know, they look at the negatives, um, even in terms of being incarcerated and coming out. Right. You know, well, I've, I'm done because now I can't vote. I, I don't have my most of my rights are taken away. No one's going to want to hire me. So you're bringing up a good point in terms of, of talking about entrepreneurship and what does it take to start a business? Not much, not much. But the thing is, is that why not put some money 
behind far as, and I'm going back to uh, prison reform now. Mm-hmm. You got those people who have done lengthy sentences, such as myself. Mm-hmm. They offer different so-called reentry programs inside the prison that they have rats teaching. When I say rat cooperating witnesses or those who teach the class or want you to be a servant or submissive to those in authority instead of a master and speaking truth to power. They don't want that. But however, if you go back, check the list of those people who may have done lengthy sentences, got clemency, or got the first step back, go back and track these people down. Put some money behind these people and send them back into the prisons to talk about the things that they did day in and day out, being consistent, like myself, going, exercising in the morning, going to the law library after I work out in the morning, coming back, eating lunch, going back to the law library, eating dinner, going back to the law library in the evening, getting another exercise routine in at night. But the whole thing is staying positive. When you put some money behind these people who have got out, certified official who didn't cooperate with the government, who didn't bow down, but they made it out of a bad situation, put some money behind them where they don't recidivate and where they can offer true prison reform where they worked on themselves from the inside out instead of the outside in. It starts from the inside with man can't see willpower because they're not selling that willpower at, in the commissary. They're not selling that willpower in Super Walmart. So when you get a man like that coming back into the prisons, speaking strong, upright, and independent, guys are going to listen when they know he's official and they're going to want to do all the right things. They're not going to want to break the law again when you tell them as long as you study yourself from the cradle to the grave, you're going to be successful. Right, but if that, if as you say, that is uh, counterproductive to the system, you know, in terms of the, the money uh, that flows in through the criminal justice system, then I think it's going to be very difficult to go against uh, that grain unless there is something that we come up with, you know, an idea that kind of replaces what it is uh, because obviously that is a perpetual cycle that it's going to take a lot to change and and to break. Um, But it definitely needs to happen. There's got to be a better way because you, you can tell With, people yes. are at the, the end of their rope. The end, you know, it's, it's too much for a lot of people. Yes. With God, with God, nothing is impossible. So even yeah. though what something is too much, still with God at the front, he can make too much less. Meaning that if you want true prison reform, go back and rewind the tape of what I just said. Other than that, it's going to be, if you don't send those people who have gotten out of prison, official who constantly worked on themselves day in and day out, who practiced hard, came up with a plan, got out of prison, played hard, utilized the plan that they put together when they was practicing, 
if you don't have them people going back into the prison, speaking to those who's still in prison, to change their mindset and let them know when they get out of prison, you don't have to break the law again as long as you have a plan when you come out. Mm -hmm. It's going to yeah. constantly be a, a constant recycle. Yeah, yeah. In and out. They, in they, and out. Yeah, what do they say? Where there's no vision, the people perish. And so exactly. if you have no mindset for what you're going to do, it's obviously going to be a cycle that uh, is perpetuated and, and right. continues. So, um, you know, because you also, also have to think about uh, things like uh, leadership. And uh, a lot of times people look for someone to guide and to lead. But if we're not looking to the right leadership, um, right. I think we're going to end up having the same type. Right. Of one one point. One quick point about leadership. I'm glad you brought out leadership. Yes. Because if not one thing for sure, two things for certain. Toastmasters. I'm gonna say it one more time. Mm -hmm. Toastmasters teaches competent communication and leadership skills. If you have Toastmasters in every prison in the United States who has a 0% recidivism rate that makes you speak confidence, strong, upright, independent in front of crowds of people, the individual won't come back to prison because man's greatest fear is speaking in front of a crowd of people. Toastmasters will help you get rid of all of that, teach you communication skills, leadership skills, listening skills when you are evaluating and just dealing with people in general, with your wife, your loved ones, your, your son, daughter, uncles, aunts. And I'm going to leave it on that note right there. Toastmasters. Yeah. Um, great organization. Um, Toastmasters, you know, I, I'm quite aware. I've actually taught public speaking classes uh, myself and shown the students, some of the Toastmasters videos, and it's really an awesome way for people to learn how to speak and, and express themselves um, right. with, with different issues. But I want to also go back to um, the whole idea of being an entrepreneur, as I am one myself, started a company over 20 years ago um, to do well. relations and be able to kind of get out and get information out to people. Um, but a lot of times people sometimes um, are fearful of uh, starting a, a business or getting out there on their own. And I'm not going to lie. I was one of those people. I know I'd always had a job from the age of nine. I'd been like a newspaper girl and then, you know, worked from there and went right. to school and did all these things. But when it came time to really think about um, starting my own business, I, I was gripped with fear. And I remember um, the day I was, I was thinking about it, I came home and the phone rang and it was actually one of my husband's friends. Um, and it was one of, one of his good friends from church. He uh, called and he was asking for my husband. I said, oh, he's not here right now, but um, you know, I'll, I'll take a message. And uh, he goes, well, how, how are you doing? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm feeling kind of weird because I, I've been really thinking about starting my own business, but um, I just, I don't know, something, my stomach, I'm just, my stomach is in knots. I'm ripped with fear. And he goes, he goes, you know what fear is? He said, fear mm. is false evidence appearing. That's, in all. That's I, all. That's all. That's <laughs> all. 
I said, wow. I said, I never said it thought better. of it that way. Yeah, mm -hmm. I thought, this is really good, you know. And so it was so weird. The next day, one of my friends that uh, worked at a, a big bank, he was a vice president, ended up becoming a uh, president shortly thereafter of another big bank. Um, he and I talked about a number of things, but um, he called me and he's just like, I told him I was thinking about starting a business and he's like, well, how much do you need? And he just started hmm. tossing out these big numbers. That right. scared me too because I thought to myself, guess what? If you get a loan, you have to pay you it back. You got to pay right? it back, definitely. <laughs> so you got to think about those things as well. Yeah. But that is a whole nother topic, uh, and I definitely want to get into that on another on, on another show. Just talking we about, need you yes, know, we need to do that, and and what it takes because make it happen, make it yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, in terms of um, going on and, and talking a little bit more um, about um, you know what has to happen at this point, D, I wanted to ask you. Um, do you think that there are particular things within the uh, criminal justice system, if you had to point at something, what would be one or two things that you think should change under the criminal justice system as it is now so that in the future, you know, we all will live better as a society? Uh, most importantly, just the rehabilitation process as a whole. Um, and, and I, I've, I've kind of experienced that firsthand just with some of the, the, the interactions that I've had with some of my, my young kids in and out of the, the juvenile system and what I'm learning. And what I mean by the re rehabilitation process as a whole is that no I don't know. We're, we're having a little trouble hearing you, D. I, I can expound on that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, D, we're going to need your audio to kind of catch up a little bit. To, to expound can you, can on you that. Me? Okay. Let me go yeah, ahead. I think we can. Go Try again. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Mm -hmm. So, and by that, you mean like um, the things that are being done within the prison system to help rehabilitate people, or do you mean more than that? As a whole, um, I mean, inside. Correct. A little bit of inside, and then the, the things that are out here in the world as well. There, ha there has to be an ample, uh, there's some, some resources. There has to be some, some resources that are presented um, to these young men, especially ones who don't have a supporting system. Um, because, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen um, help some, some young men. is that supporting cast because you have again no matter how long you remove someone from they're going directly back to an environment that has somebody that you've taken away for four to five years or even longer rehabilitated. I mean what, what, it's not rocket science what do we 
Yeah. Um, entrepreneurship is definitely the, the, that shares with you some of the entrepreneur things the Ross that he has began. Um, but entrepreneurship, I think, is is definitely definitely the way to go. But that has to be taught as well. And you know, it's imp it's important we teach uh, these young men and these young women um, skills and trades mm -hmm. that they can that they can take matters into their own hands to create their own capital. You know, and like you, and it goes back to the conversation about the, the homeless people. You know, it's not it, it's it's easy and it's comfortable um, to say that you know COVID has hit. I don't lost my job. Things are happening, mm -hmm. but there's there's so many opportunities and ways to create revenue of cash um, for you know to just to provide for your your survival tactics. Um, that you know these things obviously have to be taught, and it's a state of mind. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of where where I'm passionate about as far as helping change helping the criminal justice system. It's not more so about being an attorney or being some type of in the in the the legislative or some way. But it's more so finding ways to add resources to reduce those numbers that are in the criminal justice system, if that makes sense. Yeah, all great points. This has been a, a real pleasure to kind of hear some insight uh, from both in and outside of, of the prison walls and um, people who, who, you know, have experienced uh, some of this uh, that we're talking about here firsthand. It's so important, I think, that we have these discussions and, you know, really look at ways in which we can make this a better world for all of us, not just some of us, but again, talking about fairness, uh, equality, and justice for all. Well, that's about all the time we have for now for today's show. I would like to thank both of you for joining me today on this very important topic. And for more information on how you can be a guest on the Celestine Show, if uh, you'd like to maybe advertise or be a guest on the show, you can feel free to visit my website at www.bsaprincorporated. That's bsaprinc.com. Or you can give us a call at 615-681-6588. That number again, 615 6816588 we'd love to hear from you you can also uh, pick us up and hear more great topics like this one on apple podcasts under the celestine show i thank you so much for tuning in i'm your host celestine and i'm reminding you as robert browning once said always let your reach exceed your grasp or what's a heaven for mm. until next time be safe. We're out of here.